from the Bristol Herald Courier, I'm Delana Matthews, and this is On the Record. This week, reporter Laura Spell talked to current Sullivan County Schools Director Evelyn Rafalowski about her 42-year career and her retirement coming up on July 31st. She also spoke to Board of Education Chairman Michael Hughes, Vice Chairman Randall Jones, Board members Jane Thomas and Randall Gilmore, and two of Rafalowski's former students, Sullivan County Sheriff Jeff Cassidy and Kingsport Police Department Chief David Quillen, about the impact Rafalowski has had on the school system during her career. We will also debut a new bi-weekly music feature from Tom Netherland. Every two weeks, Tom will be interviewing local musicians in the area and getting the lowdown on their upcoming shows in his new feature called My Take. This week, listen to him interview local musician J.P. Parsons. So, you want to just start out reminiscing? <laughs> well, um, where you went, which schools you went to in Sullivan County, and okay, well, you wanting uh, my personal history? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, um, I actually started school in first grade because when I started school, there was no kindergarten, mm-hmm. um, and um, I attended Long Island Elementary in the community of Long Island in Kingsport. Um, it was a very small, uh, close, tight-knit community which sat at the uh, footsteps of Tennessee Eastman. And um, so I attended school there through seventh grade. And um, during that time there was a significant movement by Eastman to purchase homes in that area and to look at expanding. So. Um, the school closed, um, I want to say, and I can, oh, I can t- probably tell you that date, but uh, right before the school closed, they started running a bus. Um, there was no busing in, in the island because we were all within the mile um, and a half of the school. So you walked to and from school. Um, and you could go home for lunch. <laughs> you could walk home for lunch, but nobody ever did that um, because lunch was so good. <laughs> uh, lunch was great. Um, so um, I went there through seventh grade and then uh, went to Sullivan, the old Sullivan High School in eighth grade. And at that time, uh, I believe that uh, grade configuration for the old Sullivan High School was grades seven through twelve. So I started going there as an eighth grader, and then I graduated from the old Sullivan High School in 1973. Uh, From there, I left, and I actually went my first year to a a school in Swannanoa, North Carolina, called Warren Wilson College. I went there for one year, uh, discovered that I could go to school even with the work scholarship I had at Warren Wilson, I could come back to ETSU and go to school cheaper than what it was costing me at Warren Wilson. So I came back to ETSU and finished there in 1977. Uh, then in 1977, I was heavily into finding a job. And um, I had uh, applied for several jobs, but had just not had any luck that summer and um, I was out 
uh, one day and I ran into my former high school um, administrator and he had moved to the central office and we had a conversation and uh, I told him that I had uh, graduated from college, was looking for a job and uh, he said, well, I want you to go to Colonial Heights Junior High and talk with the principal there. Norman Tunnel was the principal at that time. Uh, he's got a job and um, you know, that might be something that works out for you. So the next day, I actually went to Colonial Heights Junior High and, and talked with Mr. Tunnel. And uh, Mr. Tunnel told me I had the job right there on the spot. And so in 1977, I began working at Colonial Heights Junior High. Okay. Um, Did you always know you wanted to be a teacher? Yes, yes. Um, as a as a little girl, um, and I tell this story and people laugh, but it's true. Uh, we had an old smokehouse behind our house, and uh, as a young girl, I knew that what the smokehouse was for, but I really didn't pay any attention to the things hanging on the ceiling. I considered it a playhouse. So I would go in there and I would play school. And I would bring in blocks of wood, whatever I could to set up as my students, and I would pull corn silks off the corn in the garden and put it on the sticks of wood or the brick. My dad worked at General Shell, and occasionally there would be a stray brick around. Um, and I would use corn silks uh, for the girls, and uh, I would play school. Um, and there were lots of kids in the neighborhood, but they really weren't interested in playing school um, because I was always the bossy one and <laughs> always wanted to be in charge. And I didn't want to take my turn being the student. So uh, generally speaking, um, I played alone a lot out there, but I also got in trouble uh, for sweeping out there one day, cleaning up my classroom. <laughs> Because you didn't sweep in the smokehouse. Because mm -hmm. it was food. So, um, but I, I thought, I look back on that now and I think that probably wasn't very, very, a very big space, but to me, it was just huge. I had my baby dolls and don't put that in there. I had dolls sitting in there, what, you know, what we had and that kind of thing. But I remember using the wood and the brick. So I would have a lot of kids in the class. <laughs> um, but yes, I always wanted to be a teacher and um, I think the only other thing I ever considered was possibly a nurse. Um, but um, I loved my teachers growing up. I had such great experiences in elementary school and high school. I just thought, you know, it was the greatest job anyone could ever have, and, it, and it's true. It is the greatest job. Uh, so, why is that the greatest job? Uh, because uh, you can you can make a difference, and uh, and teachers do make a difference. People in education make a difference every day. Um, you impact uh, lives, and. Uh, 
you know, I think if you ask uh, anyone, to include the two of you, to reflect, uh, you could come up with something positive that happened in your life uh, that a teacher uh, or someone did along the way in a school that has impacted you. So. So, how many years were you a teacher before you went into administration? Well, after uh, I stayed at Colonial Heights, and then I left there and went to Linview High School. I was at actually at Linview the last year it was a high school. I spent one year there, and then I did go to Sullivan North in 1980 when the new school opened, and I stayed there till 90. Then I went to Central High School as an assistant principal, so I was in uh, the classroom from 77 until 90. Talk about some experiences, you know, being a teacher and administrator and then moving up to the central office and just kind of looking back on some good memories, some challenges. Um, you know, if anyone had ever told me when I first started teaching, someday you may be superintendent of schools, you know, I would have laughed, I would have chuckled thinking, you know, having that vision. Um, and when I went into administration, um, the vision still wasn't that I might be sitting here someday. Um, but um, it just goes to show you don't know exactly where your path will always lead. Um, uh, I was very fortunate uh, along the way to have some extremely good teachers. Uh, as a student in in high school, uh, but also as a student, um, as I worked, you know the the people that I worked for, the the administrators I worked for, the superintendents I worked for, you know I I just have so many uh, good thoughts and the the things that I've I've learned from them over the years, over the years have really uh, impacted me and impacted my path. And sometimes, you know, you end up uh, in a, on a, at a destination that's not exactly where you started, where you planned to, to end up. And I never, I don't think I, I ever planned to be, uh, to end up at this, at this place, at this point in my career. Um, but. Um, you know, and when I took the interim job four years ago, I really thought, you know, that's where it would end. Um, but I wanted to, uh, I felt like I still had something to offer. Um, I think I value institutional knowledge for sure. Uh, and I felt like at that point in time, I was the person, or at least one of the people in this office that had a lot of institutional knowledge. And I knew a lot of history. Uh, about the district, and uh, I was open to the question when it came time. Well, would you be interested in in uh, doing this? Uh, I certainly have been blessed. Uh, I have enjoyed it. Um, it's been an, a great experience. So what are some of the things just, <clears throat> you know, with education, but also just 
life that you have learned along the way throughout well, your career? I've, I've learned to embrace change. Um, and I've learned that it's okay. Change is okay. Um, you know, if we come thinking that we're going to do the same thing over and over again, uh, you know, I, I don't know that we, we are going to make any kind of uh, progress. So, um, and that doesn't mean that you change everything, but it, you know, you, you've got to entertain those conversations and you've got to think through those things and, um, and value the team, value the team input. Um, but I, I would say embrace change, uh, at least entertain change. And, and uh, additionally, I would say that it's important to um, always um, be a lifelong learner and make sure that um, you never stop learning. Uh, if it's reading, listening, exploring, it's, it's super important. I learn something new every day. What new things are you learning as your career is, is coming to a close? I mean, you're, you're not used to that. So what, what's that been like? Well, uh, and as my career comes to a close, you're asking what I'm learning. I, I think one of the things that um, I, I became very um, involved in over the course of the past four years is um, reading, uh, you know, something I wasn't trained in, uh, but uh, really uh, developed a passion for uh, reading and how you teach reading to young children. Um, you know, another piece is uh, when you say, what are you learning? I'm learning that I'm, I'm not real sure about the next step, the next phase. I'm looking forward to it because I have two precious grandchildren. I have my husband that has been retired for three years um, that I won't, you know, that I'm going to get to spend time with. But um, as a superintendent, and I think anyone superintendent that you would talk to would tell you, this is not a job that you show up for at seven and you leave at five. This is a job that is 24 hours a day, seven days a week. and. On most days, it is very demanding, um, and it's it's very challenging. Can you kind of? I know every day is different, but, but leaving that is kind of you know as you as you leave that kind of of uh, demand on your life to what one might think would be a, a just a different pace. It's a little, I'm a little apprehensive about that. It's actually the first year I was a teacher in 1977-78 in the winter of 78. We came back from Christmas break the first day back and we never went back again until February. We were out the entire month of January for snow. 
What was that month like? Well, I was very young. You know, I, um, it was my first year at Colonial Heights. Um, I was going, you know, I was finding a way to get to Colonial Heights so I could open the gym so kids could just come to school and play ball or, you know, I was trying to give, give some outlet there. Um, I thought, I can remember standing in, that, in the house looking out the window thinking, please stop snowing, please stop snowing. Uh, but we missed, a, we missed a whole month of school. So do you think during your retirement you'll still have three pencils in your hair? You know, I think, do I have them? Oh, I do. Um, I heard you make that joke one day at a meeting that you were looking the, for pencils. One of the cutest things, uh, I've had it happen a couple times. When I was at North as a coach, we always, at the end of the year, you know, had our athletic banquet. And the kids did a skit about the coaches. Well, when the uh, young lady who's now one of our teachers, came in as a, uh, you know, doing my part. She had a ponytail and she had as many pencils as you could possibly get in her ponytail and everybody just hooted because this has always been the thing with me. And uh, then not too long ago, I was at one of our schools um, and it was uh, precious. It was actually at Ketron. And I went in and the little girl came up to me in the classroom and she said, what do you, why do you do that? And I said, well, it's just something that I've always done. She said, well, can you do that for me? And I said, well, okay. I said, so go to your teacher and get a rubber band, which we didn't have a covered one that day. And we put her hair in a ponytail. And she came back and she said, okay, do that. And so I took my pencil and I stuck it in her ponytail. Well, she loved it. She thought that's the coolest thing ever. Well, I ended up leaving the classroom, going down uh, for another thing, and the teacher of that classroom ended up calling me and saying, uh, can you come back to the classroom? Well, she had had to put every little girl's hair in a ponytail so they could stick their pencils in their ponytail, and I tried to find that picture. I've always had pencils in my ponytail, and I've always had a ponytail. You know, as people get older, they like to cut their hair short and you know, get rid of it. But for me, it's it's always been, you know, that's always been something I've done. Is, I don't know why. As a little girl, I wore a ponytail all the time. So, how did that make you feel as far as seeing a bunch of little girls looking up to you in that way? Oh, it made me. It, it just it just warmed my heart. I mean, to think that they would want to. Um, emulate or uh, replicate something that I had done. Um, I think uh, our young uh, ladies, our young women, uh, um, I hope that I have served uh, not only for them, uh, but for others as an example of um, what can be, what you can accomplish. and. Uh, when I became superintendent or director, it really didn't dawn on me until someone came up to me and said, did you realize you're the first woman, first female to ever be director of schools in Sullivan County? And I said, well, you know, I hadn't really thought about that. Um, um, 
I was, I've always been about the person rather than, you know, the, the gender piece, you know, as a person you do the best you can, you achieve uh, the most you can and be happy all at the same time. Um, I hear way too many people who are doing uh, jobs and I hate my job kind of thing. I can honestly say I've, I've always been happy in what I've done and uh, even in even in the darkest times that I've had experiencing my own life uh, situations where things um, you know we all have our challenges uh, you know I, I would go to school and the kids were I've told people this all the time, my students were the best medicine I ever had because they can make you feel good in a hurry. So what have you heard from the community about your retirement? Well, I've, my, my family and my staff have really uh, given me a, uh, a send-off like, no, like I, I never dreamed of and certainly didn't expect. but. You know, I had a uh, the community gathering here that afternoon where um, it was just, it was wonderful. I saw so many uh, people that I had um, taught with and uh, had relationships with over the years, and it was wonderful. Um, my children actually planned a surprise retirement party for me that was just uh, heartwarming. I mean, I, I don't know. It, it's hard for me to even express what I felt on that day. Uh, some of my former students came. I had one actually who flew in from Florida um, that morning for a Sunday afternoon reception for me and then flew back the next morning. Um, I was humbled. I was definitely humbled. Um, uh, some of the things my staff had done for me. Um, and they gave me the book, I wish I, sh I should have brought it, The Pearl, and this pearl necklace. Um, and it just, uh, so heartwarming, just just all kinds of things. And it's uh, the cards and the letters that I've gotten. Um, sometimes, and uh, this is a very important, this has been a very important lesson to me. Sometimes you're impacting a life and you don't realize it. And some of the cards I've gotten talking about specific things and occurrences that have happened, I've reflected on it and I've thought, gosh, didn't even realize it. And, you know, it's there. So uh, it's really important that, that you do uh, uh, that you give it your all and you you do you you do your best cuz you never know when someone's looking so first of all um, i know you said previously that you hate to see evelyn go is that still the case and and why do you feel that way well i i, I do hate to see her go uh, i don't think i've ever worked with anyone that works as hard or as committed or as dedicated to their job uh, she uh, she's one of those people that 
says that it's about the students and her actions actually shows shows that that's the case um she's the hardest working person and probably the best person i've ever worked around she's very professional and uh i don't know how she's i don't know when she sleeps so uh, i still hate to see her go uh I told her every day up until we sold the contract, uh, until we signed uh, the contract that uh, she can always change her mind. But uh, I think she uh, has decided her grandchildren and uh, she wants to spend time with her grandchildren. And I, I can't blame her for that, but we certainly hate to lose her. Um, and while she's been directors is when the new schools have really, the project with the new schools being built has really um, gotten up and going. So what what's it been like working with her through that as well? I know there's been a lot of community input on that, positive and negative. So, Well, she's, she's uh, probably, her four years has probably been the toughest four years for anyone who's probably ever been director. I don't know how it could have been any tougher. Having that project is like having an additional job. Uh, it adds a great deal of time to the job. She knows those school plans for both schools like the back of her hand. She uh, she's very she's been very hands on. It, but I believe it's made made. Uh, the job of director much harder for those four years. Uh, having said that, I, I don't think we would have probably be where we are without her. Uh, she has made every correct move, in my opinion, to get us to where we're at now. So I think the biggest thing is, is it's made the job of director much more difficult. Uh, she probably should have had more help. We probably should have had her more help. Uh, but she's a, a workaholic, and <laughs> I don't know if you could have given her help. So I don't. I think she likes to be hands on, and uh, I don't. I don't know how she's uh, handled the, the job of uh, overseeing these schools and and and, and the the director's job at the same time. I, I've been involved as chairman a lot so I, I have a good idea of what she does and the hours she keeps and I don't think anyone would would imagine could imagine uh, what a difficult and challenging job she has and what a great job she's done and I'm not easy to impress by the way <laughs> she, she's she's just really an impressive person well, I would just, as board chair, I would like to make sure that our director, Evelyn, knows how much, on behalf of the community, I, I know how much time and work she's put in, how much we appreciate her, not only her 42 years, but especially the last four, which was very challenging. And I think future generations will look back at these new schools and, 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 and she'll have, and have her to thank for them. And I, I certainly not just as a board member, but as a citizen, I, I'm, I'm surely thankful that she was here during this time and I appreciate her hard work. When I worked in Bristol as assistant superintendent there, I 
work with Evelyn Summons uh, her, in her position as supervisor of human resources in Sullivan County. So my relationship with her goes back many years from working there in Bristol as a, just a co-worker. Uh, but working with her as a superintendent uh, for the last four years has been the closest I've worked with her. And of course, the first couple of years that I was on the school board in Sullivan County, she was uh, uh, supervisor of uh, human resources and uh, along with technology, I believe. What has working with Evelyn been like? Evelyn is one of the most student-centered individuals I've ever met. She always keeps the student first in all her decisions. Uh, and she's a very hard worker, very dedicated, and puts in untold number of hours to get the job done. So what are your thoughts on her retirement? Well, I'm sad that she is uh, retiring, uh, but I know that uh, she's definitely earned the retirement and earned a chance to uh, spend more time with grandchildren and her uh, other family members. Uh, but uh, she has done an outstanding job for the last four years, in my opinion, to uh, lead us through the facilities study and other things that we've done. And how do you think she's um, handled working through the facility study and carrying out the plan with the two new schools being built? Well I don't I don't think you will probably find any superintendent in this area who's ever gone through the construction of two new schools at the same time. Um, Matter of fact, you'll find very few people in recent history that's gone through the construction of just one new school, especially a new high school. Uh, so she's done a, a good job of working through that. I know we've had ups and downs with the county commission and others, but uh, she's done a, a, a good job of managing what money we had available to uh, do what's best for the students. And she has involved the students and the staff in planning these facilities, and, uh, and that's a challenging job, almost a full-time job in itself, and yet, yet she's done that along with being remained a superintendent for all the other duties that she had assigned to her. Well, Evelyn is a very, very hard worker, and uh, she, I know she has given her best for this school system for many, many years, I think about 42 years, and um, she is, she's a very good person, and I have enjoyed knowing her and, getting, and working with her through all these years. She's, as we all know, has worked in many different uh, capacities in the school system through the years, and I think she... Uh, understands how Sullivan County works inside now and uh, I just uh, just wish her so well for this next phase of her life with her grandchildren and and I, I wish her the best she's been uh, 
she's given her best to Sullivan County. I do believe that. Okay. So what has it been like working with her um, as a member of the board and uh, her director and then through this schools process of building the two new schools? I know that's been kind of out of the ordinary. You know, not every director's had to deal with that. Not every board's had to deal with that. So That's right. And uh, I, I think... Uh, I think it was hard for her leaving this project in the, you know, kind of leaving things uh, without being totally complete. But, uh, you know, she felt like it was time. And um, I'm just uh, uh, looking forward to uh, the completion of our schools being built and our new director. Uh, I think he's had experience in that area. I think you know, for the completion of the projects. Uh, Evelyn has, she's very, very fair and always willing to talk and to listen. And um, I think she's, uh, she's a good negotiator. And um, I, I've really enjoyed working with Evelyn. She's, she's, uh, uh, stays real calm and organized and um, uh, she's been an asset for this system. Well, I've known her a very long time. Uh, I came to Sullivan North in 1987 and she was the head volleyball coach there and PE instructor and right away I noticed the great rapport that she had with her players and I kind of wanted to be a part of that. So even though I didn't know anything about coaching volleyball, the very next year, um, I became her assistant. So a lot of people don't know that uh, I was once her, her assistant coach. So um, would you say you had an immediate good impression of her? Oh, absolutely. She had this... Uh, competitive fierceness about her high expectations and lots of love I mean it was very she taught me probably more about coaching uh, than anyone else even though that was not I was more of a baseball guy even though uh, that was not my primary sport she taught me just about the importance of building relationships and, and having high expectations. Um, for example, we drove the vans back then. We didn't, um, they had different rules then, so we could actually transport our own players. And uh, she would always talk to them about making sure they had their homework done. She would check their GPAs every six weeks and she would tell people, you know, what our team GPA was and what the goal was. And, She'd have individual conferences with someone if they weren't meeting her expectations. So it, it wasn't just about performance on the volleyball court. It was also academic um, responsibilities and integrity and those kind of things, too. Okay. Um, so after she left to go to Central, did you still have you still worked with her over the years in any capacity before being on the board or... You know, I have stayed in touch with her, and since um, I was a, uh, a coach 
uh, as well as a teacher. So I would see her uh, from time to time. Um, you know, she was in charge of athletics, one of her central office uh, responsibilities. So I, I met with her over those type things. And uh, one year I got uh, Teacher of the Year for Sullivan County High School Teacher of the Year. And she came to uh, present the award to me, came to my classroom, actually. Uh, so, yeah, I did stay in touch with her. Okay. Um, so were you surprised when she became interim director and then permanent director? No, not really, just because um, of the vast array of experiences that she had. I mean, she, you know, she was the director of transportation, technology, and supervisor of buses, and um, she'd been human resources director. So she had done virtually every job in the central office. Um, so no, I was not I was not surprised. Um, I never knew, you know, when I was coaching with her, uh, she was such an effective coach and, and all. I, I, I don't recall us ever talking about, like, an administrative career. So I, I remember when she left, I was just so disappointed because I loved working with her. Uh, but then, you know, I just kind of followed her career from afar and, um, and you know, just always admired her that she was able to, um, you know, to to do all the things that she was able to do. And, and I mean, my goodness, to serve over four decades is is quite an accomplishment. Okay. Um, so what's it been like working with her being on the board? You know, it's funny. She has maintained uh, an incredible professionalism like uh, she always calls me Mr. Gilmore you know and mm -hmm. and so uh, I, I think I thought she would call me Randall because we, we coached and worked together and I was Randall or Coach Gilmore but she always refers to me as Mr. Gilmore she's never you know she's never used the fact that we had this deep personal relationship so personal that she actually videoed the birth of my youngest son uh she's never ever uh, used that in any way to gain favor or approval on any decision she it's always mr gilmore it's always been separate and distinct our our previous relationship from the current one and I think that's refreshing, actually. I think in you know in a lot of situations, I think there would be some, I don't want to use the word nepotism, but there would be some favoritism, maybe, or some expectations, and I've never, ever felt that. You know, I think sometimes when people make that decision to retire, they start taking the foot off the pedal a little bit and easing up and taking time off and those kind of things, and I've not seen any of that with her. I mean, she's just continue to work hard and um, I think that's commendable too that she's not you know she's not a she's not been a lame duck director Evelyn was my PE teacher and uh, I don't I can't remember if it was freshman through senior year or uh, it was a couple years there when I was in high school but uh, you know she's good friends with my dad and I, of course my dad was a football coach there and he he, uh, he retired from football there and then went to Cornwall Heights, but him and Evelyn worked together. And 
Evelyn was me and my twin brother's uh, PE teacher, and I got an older brother there, and she taught him too, I think. Was that at North? Yep, all of us at North. Okay. Yeah. So, looking back, what what was she like as a as a PE teacher, and then coming full circle and getting to work with her oh, as a colleague? Yeah, she's great. Uh, she was always uh, she wanted you to succeed, and she uh, you know a little bit you know a little bit hard on you, but she you know with with that hardness she. She demanded, uh, you know, you know, perform, and and uh, she wanted to see us succeed. But she was always uh, an exceptional person, and working with her has been a joy. And I just uh, uh, think uh, Sullivan County's uh, been lucky to have her all these years. Uh, matter of fact, I was talking with my dad the other day. Well, we was talking about all the people that's uh, everybody that was teaching at North or. Uh, working with my dad they've all retired except for Evelyn and uh, so that'll be so be much deserved for her I know she's gonna probably have a good relaxing time <laughs> you know she's a good person overall I miss Evelyn well I remember that uh, she was always uh, really excited about just being there uh, uh, it, she always had a smile on her face. I remember that, and uh, you know, and and it's, it's she got along so well with with all the kids. Um, I mean, my recollection is that you know everybody just you know thought the world of her. I know I did, and um, you know, just she, I think she really tried to be a positive role model for for all of her kids. Okay. Um, so, why did you look up to her? Well, I, there was a, just being around her every day, one thing, and then I had, you know, I've always had an interest in law enforcement. Um, it goes back to when I was a, a kid, I mean a younger kid, um, because I, my, my grandfather was a deputy and I had an uncle that was that was actually killed in the line of duty up in Baltimore. I kind of grew up around it a little bit, you know, when I was when I was much younger. And I remember asking her, we were talking about, somehow it came up about a career in law enforcement. It didn't have anything to do with, you know, phys, physical education. Mm -hmm. uh, it seems like it was in class one day. And, and um, I remember she had went and got me some information on... Um, the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation, um, you know, and that was that was in the days, you know, looking back, that was way before the days of, you know, you could Google something and have something in, you know, two seconds or, you know, all that. I mean, she really had to go research to try to get me some information about working for the TBI. Um, and I, I can't remember why I asked about the TBI. It, was, it just came up in conversation. But, you know, that's a law enforcement organization or agency here in Tennessee. And mm -hmm. and, uh, and and I just never, and then she probably, you know, she didn't give that a second thought, I'm sure, because she was always, she it seemed like she was always helping kids. But, you know, her taking the time to do that, it's just minor. But, you know, like I said, she's, I'm sure she's long forgotten that, but I've never forgotten it. So were you surprised when she made her way up to director? Absolutely not. 
Um, I mean, I, she was, you know, all of us, uh, you, you, all the way through, you know, elementary school and high school. And there are those, there are those certain teachers that uh, stand out uh, to students and, and stand out to others, I'm, I'm sure, as well. And you just, I don't, it's kind of hard to put your finger on it sometimes, but, you know, there's just something about them that you, you, you're pretty sure, and I, I was pretty sure about her, you know, that, you know, she hasn't reached her full potential, and, you know, I, you know, I remember thinking she probably got a long career ahead of her, and long successful career, and, that, and she did. She's done a great job. Any thoughts on her retirement? Well, um, you know, I talked to her, gosh, we were at an event, I don't know, it was two or three weeks ago, I guess that's the last time I talked to her, and uh, we were talking about that, and, you know, just, the, you know, the days at Landview, and, you know, um, you know, she's, she's worked for the school system for a long time now. And, uh, and I think there's a lot to be said for that. I mean, dedicating your whole adult life to uh, public service and, you know, giving back to the community and being such a positive influence uh, in the in the life of so many kids over so many years. Uh, I think that says a lot about a person. And now here's Tom Netherland with my take. Welcome to My Take. Uh, this is the first episode of the uh, podcast uh, of My Take. I'm Tom Netherland uh, with the Bristol Herald Courier. And uh, in the coming weeks, months, uh, and years, I hope, um, uh, you'll, you can tune in to hear uh, you know, firsthand accounts from, uh, from a wide array of musicians and folks connected to the music business, both upon a local level, but also occasionally uh, from a regional perspective and, and national uh, as well. Um, but today I wanted to start with uh, a local, uh, and he's a local pillar of the music scene. He is absolutely one of the landmarks of the Bristol music scene. Uh, the way I, I look at it is that uh, we have an array, a handful of folks who represent the hierarchy of the Bristol music scene. And J.P. Parsons is most definitely among that that rare few. Um, he's been at it for a long time. I, I dare say he's, he's had music on his mind since he knew what it was. <laughs> and, uh, but he, he, he does it full time. He's, he's a rare bird. He's one of the, one of the handful, uh, a, real, uh, a relative handful of locals um, who do music full time. And uh, and by golly, he's well tooled to, to do so. So anyway, uh, with no further ado, welcome J.P. Parsons to the Bristol Herald Courier. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about um, that which you do style wise? Because I know you've got a lot of different things going on, several different bands. But uh, if you could just describe that which you do, 
and how you do it. Thanks, Tom, for having me. It's a, always a pleasure, and I love sitting down and talking to you any day of the week. You're a, you're a wonderful – I'll return your, your compliment pillar of the community around here. You've helped me out so many times with your newspaper articles that uh, I, could, I could never thank you enough, man. I really do appreciate it. Uh, so – I guess what I do is, and 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 just the most common senses that I can is that uh, I try to spend as much time in the afternoons, mornings, and afternoons, um, just searching. I guess searching for subjects, um, looking for things to write about, and you know, the majority of it is really just. And this was instilled in me as as a kid and being in. Uh, the the band for school through the fifth grade through the twelfth grade is just practicing hours and hours and hours and still practicing hours and hours and hours and I believe that somewhere around 1997 I decided that I was going to start writing songs and just you know set out to write my first song and stuff like that and it was like well that wasn't too hard. <laughs> it wasn't too hard uh i got i get i get really lucky with it um but my main objective is to i guess you know work as hard as i can and uh be able to live off of it um and i guess you know i'm a firm believer of if you put in the work you know you're going to get what you want out of it well you know jp um I, I have written about you, as you said, you know, quite a few times. And, uh, you know, folks like to um, get an idea as to a person's style. Uh, what, what, what do you play? What style do you play? You know, if we look at um, if we look at the Rolling Stones, they're a rock band, right? If we look at um, Snoop Dogg, he's a, he's a hip hop guy. You know, uh, George Jones, country guy, George Strait, country guy. Um, I have described you in print as an Appalachian folk artist. Uh, you tell me, w- when you hear you, what do you hear? I try not to listen to myself. <laughs> I already got enough voices in my head, Tom. I don't want to listen to the real one. No. <laughs> uh, I believe that uh, being where I am geographically and growing up where I did um, in East Tennessee, uh, Elizabeth in Tennessee, and a lot of time in uh, Johnson City, and uh, spent some time in Nashville, Tennessee, and now living here in Bristol, Virginia. Uh, I, I guess you would think that the stuff that I play would be, uh, you know, appropriate for the our region's culture. So yeah, Appalachian. Uh, I used to play a little bit of bluegrass, as I think is where some of the drive for uh, intense practices came from because that stuff is hard to play. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I would definitely in the vein of the uh, the folky, uh, the really overused term uh, Americana, which, you know, which is it's a great term. Um, I would also probably throw roots music, like American roots music, because I've, you know, I like going – Back to, uh, you know, this has been a long journey for me, studying just many, many, many styles, you know, because they're all so good. <laughs> well, well, here's the thing. That's that's the beauty of, of, of that term, uh, I think, Appalachian folk, yeah. is because, number one, Appalachian embodies more than just one thing. 
it embodies um, it could embody bluegrass it could embody country it could and does embody rock and roll and it may embody something that does not uh, uh, square with either of those those three things same goes with folk music you know folk music uh, I would wager Bruce Springsteen has a large measure of folk music in him. I mean, he's known as a rock star, but that's how he's applied it. Uh, but he's got a lot of Woody Guthrie in him, you know. And and let's face it, Woody Guthrie is renowned as as a folk artist. And uh, so, I think with what you and, and you know, I'm with you, Americana is just it's too much of a catch all for for people who don't know how to describe this or that one. Um, but I do believe, when we, because one of the things that folk music implies is the song itself. Well, the song has to say something for it to for it to mean something. And folk music, there's no doubt about it. They're, 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 it's lyrically driven. Your songs are absolutely driven by the lyrics. No question about that. Uh, look at White Cadillac, for example. That may be my favorite song of yours. Uh, tell me a little bit about how that song came to be. <laughs> oh, man, this is a good one. <laughs> oh, wow. White Cadillac. Let's see. Uh, I think I was probably 26, 27 years old now. or, or tw- Yeah, 10, 27 years old when I wrote that. And I, and I specifically remember this because there was a large batch of songs that came out in a two-day period of writing sessions um and why cadillac was one of the more fun ones uh just to be as straightforward as possible uh it was a dream i had about a friend of mine at the time we worked together at the sophisticated otter now defunct over in johnson city tennessee and this dream was about him and i were shall we say um hiding illegal substances in the in the in the hubcap of this this car and racing through the desert i think maybe in the back of my mind somewhere it was slightly inspired maybe a little bit because at the right at this time the uh the uh, movie version of hunter s thompson's fear and loathing in las vegas came out and i remember the the opening scene and and I really think that and i'm and again i'm going back because this has been guys it's been a while since i've even thought about this um I think that might have had something to do with the dream, maybe. But that originally, yeah, it, it, it and the, I, even the guy who, who was with me in the dream, his name's Brad Warden. He still lives over in Johnson City. Uh, really good musician, too. He's top-notch guy. But, uh, yeah, it, it was all came from a dream. But, you know, the, the song is real poetic. The song's poetic, and not only in terms of of use of lyrics, but, but in the... Uh, Really, in the photograph that it that it creates, it's 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 and it's not just a photograph. I would say it's more of a landscape. It's 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 there's a picturesque quality to that song. Um, it uh, it sounds as if it really happened, whether it did or did not. It sounds as if it did. Uh, to what extent do you try to achieve that with your songs? That that sense of reality, whether you lived it or not. Yeah, so that's that's a really good one. Um, I'm a huge, enormous reader. I love movies too, but I love books because while we're reading a book, we visualize in our head what these characters look like with the help of the author. 
we paint that picture in our heads. And that's what has always fascinated about me with, with writing. And when I was 12, 13, you know, I started to write like poetry and stuff. I think mostly he was trying to impress girls. <laughs> you know, guilty. Uh, but if always, it always goes back to uh, my love of reading and and just really like I, I want to be able to show people what's going on in the song with the color of the music and the pictures that they're going to generate through the lyrics. Because that's the kind of songs that I like. And and it may sound silly, but that's the only way I know how to do it. <laughs> I don't know how to do it any other way. That's just how I write. <laughs> JP, you're being yourself. I mean, to what extent are you being yourself? Because, you know, um, I think a lot of folks might be led to believe that your songs are largely autobiographical. But I know you well enough to know that that's not the case, right? Uh, not so much in the past. Maybe a little bit more now. Um, like I said, you know, we were talking a little bit before the podcast that, you know, the constant change in life, you know, and, you know, we can observe it and, you know, have output on it in any way we see fit. Um, I think I think a lot of the, the early songs were uh, – they're completely fiction, and I started to create characters in songs. Like, uh, there's a character that recurs in a few songs named Abraham Times. And this guy's, uh, you know, he's kind of uh, not a shady character, but up to no good and should know better. <laughs> Which you kind of like, you know, that's 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 part of life as we grow and, and learn. He's actually uh, in a new song that I'm getting ready to write again, too. But after, you know, after I got older and stuff like that, you know, like I got married 10 years ago and started a family with, with my wife and our son's now eight. Around that time, the songs kind of got a little bit more autobiographical because I think they just naturally occurred that way. You know, that's that's just kind of how it uh, that's just kind of how it is. It's something to write about. You know? Well, you know, uh, it was sometimes life can happen um, in such a way that um, that that you've almost envisioned it before it happens you know that happens with creative people you know sometimes we do uh, whether we realize it in the moment or not sometimes we are uh, essentially seeing into the future as best we can don't you think and and it seems like songs do that songs uh literature sometimes uh foreshadows look at look at 1984 from george orwell for example sometimes there is a foreshadowing going on but your your songs are so so doggone um the they, they real reality based they seem like oh my gosh he's he he's bound to have lived this because it's so doggone picturesque it's so real you know it's so tangible that it's like you had to have lived this but then again i have to ask you jp uh tell me a little bit about um you're you're having lived in a box car, I believe it was. Didn't you live in a railroad box car at one time? A short period of time. Did you ever write? Have you written a song about that? And if so, which one was it? Yeah, that's a good. <laughs> that's a good point in life. Uh, yeah, no, that's cool. Um, let's see. Probably around uh, 2001, I guess. God, this is so long ago. I haven't talked about this in forever. 
uh, I was experiencing, I believe, <laughs> difficulties in my relationship with the girl that I was dating. We lived together, and uh, we had been together a couple of years, and it just wasn't working out. And I was getting heavier into to writing um, and playing out a lot more and stuff like that. It was just in taking tons of information musically in, in, in my head. It was taking up a lot of a lot of my time, which can to some people who don't understand how certain artists live their life, it can seem selfish. But believe me, that it is not anything selfish. There's really nothing. There's a lot of things that go on with art that I have no control over, just because of the type of personality that I believe that I am and just how I deal with everyday normal stuff in life that we all go through is like, you know, I seemingly try to compartmentalize it and turn it into an art form. That being said, (laughs) that being said, uh, yeah, I went down to a a little freight yard in, uh, I believe it's kind of near the South area of Johnson city off of a street called Alabama street and uh, me and uh, fellow uh, now-deceased songwriter Alan Cormier would go in there, and we would write songs in these boxcars, and we would hang out. And I'd, I'd spend a few weeks sleeping in one. And again, <laughs> it wasn't that uncomfortable, but it really started to open up the freedom of how I perceive how we live um, and hearkening back to like the traveling days of you know freight hoppers and hobos and musicians and stuff like that. So, but there is a song called "Next Year" on the first CD uh, that mentions the boxcar thing. It's 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 kind of a metaphoric, but there's there's a line in there about the the boxcars tell me lies. So that's that. Hey JP. So in other words, you were you were essentially summoning your inner Jimmy Rogers, you know, who's known as the singing brakeman. Am I right? That's it. That's it. I can't yodel. No, I thought you could. No, I, I can't yodel. I smoke too many cigarettes to be able to yodel, which is a, a an extremely bad habit that I've had plenty of bad habits in my life, but that's the, about the only one I have left. Well, well, JP, it's you know I I, I think um, you know what we're talking about the the creative process essentially kind of delving into it a little bit, um, and you you kind of referenced uh, these songs that are that are in you and and so forth and 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 in a roundabout way we're saying that they're in you and they have to come out. Um, I I have long asserted that one of the main differences between a person who is not creative, who doesn't write in any way, shape, or form, as compared to those who do, is that uh, they have things inside them, too. They just they just don't get out, and they don't have to get out. Creative people have things inside them, and they have to get out. I mean, to what extent is that true for you? Personally, and I, and I, I again noticed this going back to when I was even a small child and was playing piano like around age five and six, how immediately, and, in, and I didn't know what it was at the time, but massive endorphins that go through your brain, not only performing music, creating music, but also listening to music, the peace that comes over your body. Even I have a really good friend, and you know that uh, that plays drums in all all three of my bands with me, Scott Thomas, and he is he listens to like some some hardcore metal rock, just you know, just like screaming kind of stuff. Which some of it's my cup of tea, some of it's not. But he tells me that it helps him stay calm 
And I can totally – and, that, again, it doesn't really matter what the precipice is. It's that the human being condition, especially in how our society and how hard that we have to work to live now, we have to have some kind of release, whether that be from the listener or the creator. Absolutely. And, you know, Scott, uh, Scott's a great example of that. And, and that, was a, that was a wonderful illustration because – we all, and and different people have different manners uh, to 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 basically re- hit the release valve uh, on life. You know, some people read, some people run, jog, bicycle, hike. Some people create music. Um, and if you're creative, you create music or you write poetry or what have you. Um, but but it, but it does it, it does. It's something that it, it again it, it pertains to something that's in you that has to come out, and you know Hank Williams always used to say that um, he said you know I'm just saying what they meaning his audience they want to say, but they just don't know how to do it. To what extent do you do that? To what, in what ways have you felt that? You know, relative to to people who dig your music, uh, that you know, while you're in a lot of ways, you're saying things that they would like to say, sure. they just don't have the ability to do so. Right. Yeah. Um, again, I'm going back to the. I I got real lucky by how I grew up with the uh, the the family that I had. Uh, my dad was very musical, and my mom loved all kinds of music. My sister, she's six years older than me. She was heck of a singer played piano i got very lucky being able at a young age to be able to absorb all this stuff so rather than around the time you know that i would, I would turn into an adult and was kind of out of my own like i already had a, a pretty big bag of of uh of, of stuff which i'm i'm i got invited this is this is just kind of it stays in the same realm your question i got invited to uh to perform at a political event and i turned it down and because it, it doesn't matter to me, <laughs> it doesn't matter to me. I don't. I would never want to say something for a group of people. Ever, uh, if if anything, I want to say for a group of people, which you know has come out in a, a lot of songs, is, is like kind of what you and I were talking about each other. That we're all here and we're all human beings and we're stuck with each other. And help goes a lot farther away than hurt does. And we were supposed to love each other. Period. In other words, let's find. In other words, let's find that which bonds us, brings us together, and makes us human, or at least you know, emphasizes the fact that we are human, as opposed to trying to split us apart. Doesn't music do that? Music, music is universal. It's a binding agent, don't you think? Absolutely. I think all art um, is a binding agent. Uh, music has the ability to. Uh, you know, hit different senses, you know, um, your ears, you know, your, your, your eyes. Um, and there's that really cool, special feeling when you hear something and the hair stands up on your arms. <laughs> That's always a plus. Um, I think it is that I believe it's the greatest gift that human beings have is, is to actually be able to create something to where people from various backgrounds whether it be political religious what part of the world they live in that we can all find a common ground in that commonality of going you know the how music 
makes our brain react. It releases serotonin naturally, you know, endorphins, you know, and it just makes you feel good. And Lord knows I could use some of that. <laughs> well, you know, uh, JP, um, real quick, uh, you you perform in a lot of different uh, configurations, solo uh, with the American Bandwagon, uh, with Hearts Gone South, and with Jack Dawes Seven. Um, and and what I find fascinating is, is that you're a part of all four of those entities, and 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 you are without question spread liberally throughout. However, uh, each one of them stand alone. Uh, to what extent does that help to feed the music inside you that's ever craving? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a I'm a, a self-proclaimed uh, probably will never recover from it. Uh, music just junkie. <laughs> I have been since I was a, a small child. The multiple projects. Um, it at my point in my life right now, it's an absolute necessity in order for me to live. Not, you know, just for art and stuff like that in order for me to pay bills and to do stuff that everybody – it's it, it music is to me, and, and I love – I don't want anybody to think that, you know, any any type of artist are, you know, up on a different kind of level than other people. But I've always looked at what I do is no different than what, like, a plumber does or an electrician. You know, it's my job. I work really hard at it, and I'm lucky enough to be, you know, in a in a place in our uh, our country where music is a large part of our culture. Uh, that's really it's, it's a uniqueness. You know, I, it's it's the chance how I was, you know, where I was born and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> excuse me, but I I believe you know it's. We we all just we everybody just we have to have the we we have to have it, and I want to just try to stay as busy as possible. But I like uh, the difference between what I do. I don't really consider what I do as a songwriter and stuff like that to be country. It's country-ish. But like with Hearts Gone South, it's a definitely a traditional sound of of country music. Um, wonderful band. Check that out. Also, the Jack Dawes 7 band, as I came into that and was wanting to get into more electric guitar uh, like your twangy Telecaster lead guitar style, and that that opened really opened the door in that, and it just the amount there's there's three songwriters in that band, so it's like heaven to me. <laughs> I'm like, oh wow, and we all get to you know create all that stuff together, but there it's a little different. It's kind of a little bit more rowdier than traditional, so you know. But with my band, the American Bandwagon, um, I'm I'm surprised that the people who play with me have put up with me for so many years because. <laughs> Because I throw all kinds of weird ideas out at them, but uh, we we just moving right along. All right, JP. Finally, uh, what? Um, and then this is this is a question I can't really ask everyone because because uh, especially folks here and about who are not full timers, but but you are a full time musician and and it's how you make your living. But but let's face it, it also sustains who you are. I think anybody who knows you knows that's true. Uh, what does music do for you that nothing else can do? Just peace of mind. Seriously, peace of mind. Um, to me, and I and I can only speak for myself on this. The creative process for me can be um, sometimes extremely just strenuous on uh, my soul. I guess. Um, 
and how we perceive things because sometimes I have to get out of my comfort zone to write some, you know, start to get to the lines, I guess, how I can pull them out of, you know, the universe or whatnot. Um, it's real important for me to be able to write and share this stuff because somebody I know somewhere is going to, you know, send me a message on Facebook and be like, I was in a really bad spot, man, and this song helped me. And that's enough for me. Seriously, I don't even care if they bought it. That's enough for me. That's the, the art heals people every day. Amen, brother. Thank you again, JP. And uh, my goodness, we'll we'll see each other down the road for sure. And uh, and meanwhile, make sure and tune in to my take again. See you next time. And hey, keep reading the Bristol Herald Courier. We bring the news to you that's real. See you later. Bye. On the Record is made possible by David Cricker, Delana Matthews, David McGee, Nate Hubbard, and Tim Hayes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.